0: Acts chapter 23. Kids, you're dismissed, by the way. So we left off in chapter 22. At the end, uh, that's kind of where we finished last week. And Paul is he's in Jerusalem. He's in the custody of a Roman commander at, the, at Fort Antonia, which is right attached next to the, uh, to the temple there. And he appears before James and the elders, who are the church leaders there amongst a Jewish population. So people have come to believe in Jesus as their Messiah. The rest of everybody has not. It's a very difficult situation to be in. Paul delivers the gift that was collected by the Gentile Church. He no doubt uh, delivers it to them there at Jerusalem. Paul also gives an account of all that God did when he went out into the pagan lands, Right? God's just doing a massive miracles everywhere, and He relays all this. And then, upon hearing this, the the Jewish leaders they go, "Man, that is awesome! We love what God is doing." Don't you love to hear what God is doing in different parts of the world, places you would think that God would never work? Because oh no, uh, it's there's no way they're so hard hearted, and yet you hear people coming to Christ. You hear that in you know underground China and places like uh, the ten forty window that we read about in the world where, where the gospel is taking place. People are casting aside whatever they were following. They're giving their lives to Jesus Christ. People have never heard of the gospel before, never heard of simple faith and forgiveness. You know, I heard of a story uh, by, uh, uh, was it, uh, not Robbie Zacharias. There I go, Profiling Indians again. Uh, what was his name? Gospel for Asia. Somebody help me. K.P. Uh, man, two amazing guys, but they're, uh, he, he tells a story of a missionary who had just came up to a lady in the Ganges River in India, and she had uh, just was weeping and, and just crying so deeply, and he goes, what's wrong? She's like, I just threw my newborn baby into the river to sacrifice it for my sins. And she's just weeping and weeping and weeping. And then he tells her the gospel. She's like, why weren't you here a half hour earlier? I wouldn't have had to do this. And, and it's just, it's heartbreaking a world that, you know, we look at devoted and all these types of things, but there's demonic influence behind that. And when the gospel of Jesus Christ starts penetrating these areas you'd never seen before and, and hearts are free and the freedom comes and it happens right here in our valley. But how many of you have neighbors, you're just like, oh, no way, the gospel could never go there. That person would never be saved. And all of a sudden, just like Paul, uh, you find that Paul got saved. <laughs> it's just, that's what it's all about. And so you, you just saying, man, the gospel, God has actually had favor upon these people. And all the Jews in Jerusalem said, wow, that's awesome. But that also spurred up something and said, well, look what God's doing here too. Tons of people here in Jerusalem, all these Jews are coming to faith in their Messiah, But guess what? Verse 21 tells us in chapter 21, uh, 20 and 21 says, they were very zealous for the law. In other words, they loved the Lord. But guess what? They also loved the law. They loved the law. They loved being Jewish. They loved the fact that they were circumcised and they were others, this part of a group. And God was still working on their heart just as the Gentiles were learning not to eat certain things that, were, um, that they had already eaten because they were sacrificed to idols so that they could be a witness. So the Jews were learning that they could actually have a ham sandwich. That's what happened to I, I seriously to, to Paul when that, that thing came down. He said... Uh, I'm sorry, to Peter, it said, hey, go ahead and eat from these things because I want you to be a witness to the Gentiles. Don't let that be a barrier to me. I've made these things clean. And so there was, that was 10 years after Pentecost. And so we're all growing in Christ. And so, but nevertheless, Paul has been preaching this gospel to the Gentiles as now back in Jerusalem. And guess what? The message has gone before him because all the Jews in those foreign areas are all converged on Jerusalem right at this point. And they're all having a celebration of Pentecost. They're all celebrating the law, and they are, I mean, this is the pinnacle of what it is to be a Jew, one of the three major feasts. And so Paul, they said, man, this guy preaches against every single thing that we believe. He's saying that you don't have to obey the law, and, and all this type of stuff they're, they're laying out there. And this is the hard thing about Paul, James is saying that, hey, man, these people love the church. I mean, they love the Lord, but they're still zealous for the law. And Paul, this is the hard thing about Paul, is he's, he's among his own people. You ever been around people you just get? You just totally relate to them, like they're your people. You know, you just... You walk in and it's just like a glove. You understand why they do what they do. There's no explaining. And then how many of you have to go drive over to Seattle? And then you go, where am I? It feels, you know. Then you get back to Walla Walla, and you're like, oh, everything's great. You know what I'm saying? This is kind of like Paul with the Jews in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Paul is in the midst of a very, uh, a very passionate people here in Jerusalem, and the idea of zealousy means that they, these people he was among, were extremely. Invested. You ever met a zealot? Someone who's very zealous for something, very passionate, overbearing. This is the group of people. They're very zealous for the law. They're zealous for the Lord, so to speak. And Paul begins in Romans 10. He says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites, these Jews, is that they may be saved. He says, For I can testify by about them that they are zealous for God. But their zealous is not based their zealousy is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. And this is what his point was, is that Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The law, according to Paul, is to point us to the need for righteousness that doesn't come by obeying the law. The law shows us that we break it. Anyone feel that way all the time? Yes. There's a righteousness above the law, and that's what Marcus Carter so amazingly shared this morning. The righteousness is from Christ who fulfills the law. And when he comes and lives in our hearts, now he empowers us to do what we never could by the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And so the zeal of the Jew for the law was simply not enough. And Paul knew it, but he understood everything they were going through. And Paul, he was a Jew and he longed for them to be saved as we read. And in Romans 7, he said that he wished he could self- be cut off for them Is there anybody you know, you wish that you could be cut off for them, like eternally cursed for God so that they could be saved? You just love them so much. That's how Paul felt for the Jews. That's his heartbeat. And so these elders have Paul. They said, what do we do in this situation? Pay these cleansing rites, kind of go through some things, and kind of make peace. And he did it. And, and I know from First Corinthians chapter 9, Paul did it so that he might win some and so that he might build a bridge with the weaker Christian. That, I believe that's his heart and his motive. No way was he trying to go back under the law, but he, he lived under the law so that he might win some. But it didn't work out that way, at least with the non-saved Jews. They accused Paul of defaming the law and bringing a Gentile into the temple grounds, and they grabbed him and began to beat him with the intent to kill him until the Roman commander, he came down and rescued Paul out of the crowd, basically, and brought him to the fort. And then as Paul is about to be brought into this fortress, he does what none of us would do, is say, can I address these people? And then he starts giving him his testimony. These people are just totally pummeled him, right? What happens? Can I talk to these people? Can I witness Jesus to them? I mean, there's this guy who's sold out, and so he does, and he starts sharing the Lord with them, and all the way up until the point where he says, and then the Lord, he, he starts talking about, he builds bridges and all that type of stuff, and he's sharing the Lord, and he talks about his resurrection from the dead and how he appeared to him, and so he's going along, and then he goes, and then Jesus, he sends me to the Gentiles, and as soon as he gen- said Gentiles, he lost his crowd. They lost them. They just went berserk. They were throwing dirt in their shirt. Their shirts were going in the air. It was just a, they were. There was going to be massive civil unrest. You ever talk to anybody about the Lord and you just can't talk to them about some one specific area? You start talking to them about something. You can talk to me about everything, but don't talk to me about this. Don't talk to me about you know the way I the way I drive or the way I do this or you know I mean just you know and they just go berserk and they just totally shut down. Everybody has it. I've had it. Have you? There's something in your life when the gospel was preached to you, your heart said, don't talk to me about that. You can't touch that, God. Don't you dare say I have to break up with that person. Don't you dare say that I have to give up. Don't you dare say that, this, that I am must surrender that or this is the way it is or what about the person I loved who had died? I can't reconcile that in my heart, so no way I'm going to shut that off. And where are they now? I mean, we all have it. And for these people, they had an extreme prejudice against Gentiles, non-Jews. And Paul knew this. And they went berserk. They were listening up to that point. And the Romans had to grab him into the fortress. And the, the whole time this is going on, this commander, he's trying to find out why they were attacking Paul. And he even thought he might have been this Egyptian assassin. And we talked about that and all that stuff. He just couldn't get the straight. Scoop of what was going on. In verse 30, that's where we're picking up, uh, chapter 22, it says, the commander wanted to fi- find out exactly why Paul was being accused of, by the Jews, and so the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. And then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. So Paul's now a prisoner of the Romans and will be until his death. Make a note of that. He is brought before the Sanhedrin. And this would be the religious rulers of the people of Jerusalem. And and you have to know that there was no separation of synagogue and state there. No separation of church and state, so to speak. Um, there was no separation between their national identity as Jews and their religion. To be a Jew, to be an Israelite, was to be Jewish. Was to, it's like saying in America, to be an American is to be a Christian. I mean, that's that's further divorced now, but I mean... That was just kind of, that's it. That was their national identity. They were religious. And so although they were occupied by Rome within their own framework, they were allowed by Rome to have their king and to have their religious rulers who dealt with matters of their law. What was their law? The law of Moses. Moses. And that is why when we are talking about places like, uh, you know, Iran and all these other places, and we have this mentality that there's a separation between church and state, there isn't a separation between church and state. All policy is religious. All policy gets run through their books, their their, their Quran and their laws. That's why you have Khomeini out there uh, as the religious spokesperson talking to the world and telling us the great Satan and all that stuff, and... It just that's it's not separated. It's all it's all one. Yes, they have political factions within, but that's what's going on. So, the Sanhedrin was the council of religious rulers, and this group consisted from anywhere from twenty-three to seventy-one guys, and from the various cities. And there were four major political groups, just for you to take notes and have fun with this week. But the Pharisees. Uh, who were the rule enforcers the sadducees who were more of the liberal persuasion and didn't kind of take the scriptures literally and we're going to see more about them and the herodians who sympathized with herod and then there are also uh, those, those guys were kind of like the puppets of rome and then there were the Essenes, who were more of the mystical nature but the sanhedrin mostly had pharisees and sadducees these two groups that butted against does that sound familiar to anybody that just couldn't get along the only time they did get along is when it was for their own self-interest and and everybody else kind of had trouble when the, those things happened. I don't, I don't know if that rings true or not. But the Sanhedrin was the same group that aided in sending Christ to the cross 20 years earlier. This is the same group. Maybe some have graduated and some have died off. And so the commander sets Paul before the, them in this Roman court setting. And, and I know just Paul is saying, man, this is my chance. I was a Pharisee. They're Pharisees. I understand their zeal. The people weren't listening, but surely I've got to tell the leaders, come on, Lord. Now is my chance, right? If I can convert these guys, all the rest will follow. How many of us have that thought in Christianity? If we can just win the rock star, then, oh, you don't know how many people they influence, right? Well... It says in chapter 23, verse 1, Paul looks straight at the Sanhedrin and he does his opening statement. He says, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God and all good conscience to this day. And at this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. The guy doesn't even get his first words out of his mouth and someone just, the word is closed fisted punch. Someone just punched him. The high priest ordered, just take him out. How's that? Verse three, and Paul to him, he responds. He goes, "God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there and judge me according to the law, yet you yourselves violate the law by commanding that I be struck." Now, I have to say, I think Paul lost it here. <laughs> this sounds like something I would do. Yeah, <laughs> so I know that Paul lost it. He got he got popped in the mouth in in the first sentence. You know, he just lost it. Why can't I talk here? And, and he just got called the. You know, and he just called, started calling the high priest, whitewashed wall, and all this stuff. And I think he just lost it. Many of you lose it in high pressure situations? You want it to go so well, you have great expectations, and all of a sudden you get popped in the mouth, and you start. Then the real old nature starts popping up again. Anybody ever done that lately? <laughs> this morning, perhaps on the way to church. the interesting thing is that God did strike this high priest down he was assassinated two years later and also Paul's assessment of the high priest was right on Paul called him a whitewashed wall, a hypocrite if you remember, um, that's what that was he's calling him a hypocrite if you remember in Matthew 23 uh, Jesus said, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees you hypocrites you are like whitewashed tombs Which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. You see, in that culture, under their laws, you were not to touch anything that was dead because you would become unclean. And therefore, you'd have to start going through all these cleansing rituals in order to go back into the temple and worship. And they worshiped every day, right? Right. And so that was something you did not want to do. And so what they did as a courtesy is they go and they'd whitewash tombs. So you'd see this bright white thing on the outside, and you go, Okay, well that's unclean. Don't touch that. Well, what's the reality of it is, is it looks nice on the outside, but in what it's really containing is death and everything unclean. And Jesus said, You guys are what? You've got all the clothes, you've got all the garb, you've got all the words, you've got all the style. You've got all the fasting down. You pray right. You read right. You know the word. Right? But what's going on? You're dead inside. You're dead inside. This is what Paul knew of himself. He said, according, I was a Pharisee above Pharisees. That's what Paul said of himself. He says, according to obeying the Mosaic law, I was beyond fault. I was spotless i did everything and you guys real good rule keepers you just like to the t i mean someone gives you a sheet at work about protocol what to do and you're like on it and you're doing it and you're kind of looking at other people going why aren't you doing it and you're kind of becoming the rule enforcer i kind of get that way sometimes but i'm not very good at it myself but there was this hypocrisy happening in their hearts and Paul, knowing that, knowing the situation, what was in his heart came out, man, I'm dealing with a bunch of hypocrites. How am I going to reach them? And then he gets popped in the mouth and he starts, you whitewashed tomb. And then notice what happens. It says, verse 4, those who are standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, brothers, I, I didn't realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. So Paul says, yeah, you're right. The word says, don't speak evil of, your, of, of the rulers of your people, which is Exodus 22, 28, don't blaspheme God or curse the rulers of your people. And I love Paul here. He lost his temper, but he owned it and he submitted himself to the word of God. That's what we do. When we blow it, if we blow it, when we blow it, right? We own it, hopefully quickly like this, and we submit ourselves to what? The word of God. You're right, I was wrong. The word says this, and, and, and you, you make it right. I love that about Paul. And this is the cool thing. We can be right about what we say, but we can have the wrong spirit about what we say it. Ever, anybody else ever done that? How many of you can be total, totally right about your assessment of political leaders? But God, in His Word, said, Do not slander. We need to shut our mouths. What does He say to do? Pray for your leaders. Right? Boy, that's a big move of repentance in America right now. Turn off the talk radio and start praying. You know, personal conviction. But the question is, why didn't he know he was the high priest? That's what I was thinking. Why didn't he know he was the high, his high priest? I thought that he was up on this stuff, you know. And this is where people think a couple of things. One, that, that uh, there were 70 guys in the room, and, and they weren't wearing their robes. You know, they weren't wearing their official robes because they were called by the Romans and all that type of stuff. And there's a couple of different thoughts. But um, another thought is that they, they change out really quickly. There was a guy who only lasted 18 months. These high priests kind of would go through because they weren't the greatest guys and there was a lot of political infighting. Another thing, um, you know, and lastly, which I, I think is probably has to do with, Paul had poor eyesight. You know, that was his thorn in flesh. In Galatians, he says, I, I wish... You know, I know you give out your own. You give your own eyes for me. You pluck out your own eyes and give them to me if you could. See with what large letters I write. So most likely he's sitting there and he just can't make out things in the room, either from uh, you know malaria or being hit with rocks and beaten so much. Who knows what it is? But most likely he couldn't see. But regardless, he didn't know who it was. But he submits himself to the word, regardless of his excuses, regardless of his of his falling i didn't know but i was still wrong i was still wrong we own it amen verse six then then knowing that some of them were sadducees and the others pharisees called out in 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 the sanhedrin my brothers i am a pharisee descending from pharisees i stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead paul's looking at this group He knows there's two major groups with two different political affiliations, two different slants, and he relates with one, and the truth that he holds identifies with one of those groups more than the other, and he says, guess what? I'm here on trial because of the resurrection of the dead. And it says, verse 7, when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. No kidding. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection. That's why they're Sadducee. Thank you very much. And that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things, right? And so the Pharisees had this strict interpretation of scriptures, and the Sadducees had a very liberal interpretation of scripture. As Pharisees said, resurrection, there's no life after death. Like, where do you get that in scripture, a Pharisee would say. Show me that, right? Show me that. you got to... Like, this is is this not what we are and who we are and where we come from and how we live and how we do, th- you know? And the Pharisee is like, yeah, but, you know, kind of the heart of it is what we kind of want to. You know. So there's just these, you can see there's, you know, it's like taking the Democrats and Republicans and someone stands up there and says, hey, I'm for, uh, you know, gun control, go, you know? And it's like, and they just start going for it, you know? And there's this vehement debate within this group. And it gets kind of crazy here. Because Paul is introducing the central theme of Christianity, the resurrection from the dead. In other words, if Jesus wasn't alive, who cares? Because he's just another dead religious leader. But if Jesus did raise again and he did appear to Paul and he was a Pharisee and you see this radical change that happened in Paul's life, why would someone so devoted for something be, and was killing and persecuting those people be turned around and go actually go be one of those people and spread that message. Something had to happen in our life, radical. And he says, it's the resurrection of the dead. Jesus appeared to me. And he changed my life. And that's our testimony as Christians. We were going one way, and Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, the gospel is preached, and wherever we were going... Whatever it was, the Lord got a hold of our lives and said, repent. And we changed our minds. We believed in the gospel. And he, by his grace, turned us around. And now we're going this way. We're following the Lord. And people see that in our lives. And that is our witness. That is our testimony to the world. But when we continue and say, yeah, I believe in God. And we keep going down this road. That's hypocrisy. James talks about that. That's not saving faith. You're not really saved if you keep going down that road. The proof is... Boy, you've been saved when the fruit works out in your life. The good works are happening in your life. That's the evidence. And Paul's saying, I was changed. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm under trial. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Messiah is kind of what he was relaying to these people. That's him, the Christ, the one you guys crucified 20 years earlier. He's alive. And that's why I go and do what I do. And they just would not hear it. And they argued vehemently. And and they were divided on that issue of the resurrection. Verse 9, there was a great uproar. And some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. They'll want to kill him in just a minute. Don't worry. And when it's politically expedient for them, right? What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them, and so he ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him back up to the barracks. Have You ever been in a debate like that? For your faith? You ever been in a situation like that? This is crazy stuff. How many words has Paul been able to utter this whole time? Not very much. I think Paul was hoping for a different outcome. How many of you have gone into? You shared the Lord with family members. You ever? You know, it's not gone well. Anyone? And then there's estrangement for years or whatever it might be when you approach sin, when you approach, when you see someone who's broken and they're going down a path and you're going, I know they're going to hell. I know it. And the Lord is just tugging on your heart and He's going, "You're." My light in their life. You've got to go. You've got to speak. And you're just fear and trembling, fear and trembling, fear and trembling. And then you go and you share and it falls apart. And you're just going, oh, how depressed can you get when you love someone so much and they don't hear your heart, when they won't listen, when they've got such a wall You know, I can just imagine Paul in that, in that barracks, sitting there that night going, why did I say Gentile? Why did I say Gentile? They were following me all the way up until that point. Why did I say that? Anybody ever had that conversation? Why did I say that? So stupid, come on. I had them. Have you ever been so discouraged after trying so hard to serve the Lord in an area and it just falls apart? it seems like you give them your whole heart and it just doesn't work people don't come together things don't happen and you're just kind of like you know what happened to you i think we can all relate you know or you get an opportunity to speak and you get popped in the mouth and you start saying stuff you shouldn't have said and you just blow your witness anybody blown your witness before and you just, such discouragement can come in your life. You're like, Lord, it's going so good until I got involved. You know? <laughs> Paul, I believe, he's totally discouraged at this point. I'm not reading into it. I mean, those things I said, maybe what he's thinking, I'm reading into it. But he's discouraged. Because we know that from verse, verse 11. The following, the Lord, uh, following at night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified me about in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. You know, in Paul's depression and discouragement and perhaps his failure, the Lord stood near Paul and spoke in the night. I love that about the Lord. Now, we need that in our lives. What a verse to meditate on. The Lord Jesus stood near and spoke in the night. What did Jesus say to Paul? Hothead, you really blew it. <laughs> Why did you say Gentile? I mean, we were, we were tracking. What's going on there? What did What did Jesus say? No, Jesus expo- spoke exactly what Paul needed to hear at that moment. What God wanted to communicate. And Jesus has a way of just getting to the heart of the matter. He said to Paul, cheer up. Cheer up, Paul. Paul knew. He was discouraged. He was probably a little fearful at this point. Anybody been fearful when you feel like the world's against you? Jesus comes in, he says, cheer up, Paul. You know, and this is, this is quintessential Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. This is him from the Genesis all the way through to his people all the time. He runs up to them in their, need of, in their hour of need and he says, cheer up. Take courage. Take courage. He stands by them in the dark hour. Amen? Take courage. You See that in the Old Testament. Joshua 1.9. Moses is dead. Joshua has to command this big old two million people thing and what, is he, what happens? He says in Joshua 1 9, Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua 1 9. He repeats it several times throughout the Old Testament. And then you come into the the New Testament, Mark chapter 6. He walks on the water and his disciples freak out. I would be freaking out if someone was walking on the water. Wouldn't you? They're like, man, it's a ghost. Something's going on. What's going on? And they were totally scared. And immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. How many times does the Lord have to say that to us? Over and over and over and over and over in our lives. Take courage. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Over and over, the Lord tells us not to be discouraged. We're afraid. So don't fear. Don't fear. For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, Isaiah 41.10. Psalm 53, fifty-six three. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. John in Revelation, when he sees the appearance of, of, of Christ in, in, verse, in Revelation 1.17.18, was in need of help from the Lord as he realized his sinfulness before a holy and righteous God. It says, when I saw him, I fell down as though we're dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now, look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's our Jesus. So the Lord speaks to Paul. He speaks to his discouragement, his fearful heart. He stands by him in the night. And then he encourages them. He says, you know what? You testified about me. I love that about the Lord. And even in Revelation when he's doing correction, he says, you know what? This is what you did well. This is what you did well. Look what you did. He's like, you testified of me. Now, I don't know how many of you feel that. You go and you just start sharing Jesus. You're like, man, I really, I said Gentile. It didn't work quite out, you know? And you're just feeling so discouraged because they, they wouldn't have any of it. Jesus would come alongside of you and say, you testified with, of me. Right on. You did it. Way to die to yourself and live for me. Way to let me live through you. Awesome. You testified of me. That's what the Lord is going to do, you, do, you know, do to you when you actually start to step out in faith and you start to witness for him. You're afraid. There's a lot of things to be afraid of, right? But I would fear the Lord a little bit more. And I would long for his encouragement a little bit more than I would the approval of men. I would long for him to say, you did it, come on, let's go, amen? And that's what he will do. He will encourage you and he'll find ways to encourage you. You've asked to do it himself. <laughs> and then he gives Paul hope. How many of you need hope this morning? How many of you feel like you're just stuck and this is it? Like there's just no, what's the next There's just, I love this about him. He says, Paul, you must also testify of me in where? Rome. What does that mean? That Paul is going to Rome. When Jesus says we're going to the other side, guess what's happening? We're going to the other side. How does that happen? However he wants. However he wants. And I love that about the Lord. He said, Paul, you've done good, but guess what? We've got more work to do. We've got more work to do. We're going to Rome. Paul is sitting in barracks with a mob of people around him outside who want to kill him. He's got a whole city that hates him. Every place he's been, he's been beaten senseless, stoned with rocks, rods, whatever it is. He's not the most popular person, but, but he's following Jesus Christ. And here he is in Rome, and he's sitting in this probably, you know, with a bunch of Roman soldiers, great, in this barracks. And he's going, okay, Lord, is this it? Is this it, you know? The Lord says, we got more to do. We're going to Rome. How he gets to Rome is, pro- is what we'll talk about next week, but it's the divine providence of God. How is he going to get past this mob? How is he going to get to Rome when he's in chains? How is this going to happen? How is it going to play out? How many of you want to know the big picture right now? God gives you so many big pictures in the Old Testament, the New Testament. He plays out everybody's life except for yours. Because he wants you to trust him. Hebrews 11 in every single step of your life. Everything that's going on, good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, he is at work. We're going to focus on the providence of God, not the miracles of God, the providence of God. How many of us just want miracles? God, heal me! Oh, we love that, but how much of that is happening? Maybe it's because of faith or not, I don't know. Quite often he works through supernaturally naturally every day and that's what we're going to see he's going to even take the whole roman army and use it to escort paul out of the situation when god wants the plan to happen it's going to happen and it's not up to you you just trust in the one who is in charge of everything amen so we'll move more into his providence uh next week i don't want to shift gears here I hope that would bring some comfort to you this morning, um, in whatever you might be going through. I want to encourage you to be bold in your witness for Christ. Jesus Christ has saved you, and He's filled you with His Holy Spirit and His love, so that you can go shine that to other people. And what's and you're going to be fearful, but fear not; He's with you. Don't be discouraged; He's with you. Go mumble for the Lord. Amen? Go love deeply for the Lord. In church, when we start seeing brothers and sisters do that, I want us to rally around them like nothing else and encourage the heck out of them and say, good job, and, and how can I help you? Or or perhaps you're just going, I have no idea what to do. I've got this situation in my family, and it's really complicated, and it's not just I like bust like a bull in a china shop. I need some real discernment and prayer over this. You know? It might be a lifelong witness. It might be helping them consistently for so long. I've got a neighbor. I haven't shared the Lord with them yet. I won't tell you which one. But I haven't shared the Lord with them yet. But I tell you what, they know who I am, they know how I live and what I'm doing, and they're, they're hungry. Yesterday, I'll end with this, I was eating dinner with my kids and then got a knock at the door and we're like we're at the end of the street so who wants to talk to us it's got to be someone religious right uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding and so they uh, open, they open the door and it's two young ladies from um from the uh from the Mormon church right and so they you know you can see the one who's in charge and then the one who's training and and they start say hey, we'd like to just share you know the message with you the good the good news, and I said, okay well what is that you know I'm just like and so they shared. I said if you could just take your message and put it into one line what would it what is it that you're trying to say it says the the gospel has been restored and I said how where do you get that and they said, Amos whatever and I just went to Amos and they showed me that and I kept reading past the verses they they said and they didn't like that too much but they because it was about Israel, anyways, but I just listened, and, and as they were talking, um, they were sharing things, and and I just said, you know what, I said, I, I really admire about about you, and, and the Mormon, Mormon people, I said, you know, you're, you're hardworking, and I said, you really, it seem like you have family values, and you're devoted to one another, and all these things are are, are, are just, you know, great on the surface, said so I love those things, and I said, and the fact that you're out here doing this shows that you care about what you do. You know? I said, but this is what i the problem I have. I said, it's its, it's not you. It goes to that apostolic authority you're talking about. And as I started to share with them the little bit about the things that they believed, they didn't know they believed. Um, and I just started to share the gospel of just the f- repentance and faith in Christ. And I said... I said, you know, you believe that an angel came down and and talked to this person and this stuff happened. I said, Paul himself said that if an angel, if myself or an angel from heaven were to come down and preach another gospel, let him be eternally cursed. And you have an angel coming down and telling Joseph Smith, who had several wives, by the way, all these types of things. and, And I just laid it out and I said, no, that's not the gospel. And as I started to share the gospel, you could see tears welling up in this one girl's eyes. And it wasn't beating them over things. It was just, man, Jesus brings freedom. Jesus brings freedom. You're not in freedom. You're under bondage. You're under works. You're under the law. And you feel it, and you know it. And I tell you what, as soon as I I saw it in her heart, I said, God's talking to you right now, isn't he? You know, that burning in the bosom, you're feeling it now, but it's the wrong way around. But, you know, and, and she just started welling up, and then she quickly gained her composure because you can't, you, that's why you sent them out in twos, right? What I'm saying is it's awkward. It's awkward. The words didn't come out the way I wanted them to. It wasn't perfect. Um, but Jesus brought them to my door. You know what I'm saying? I'm a pastor. I'm a, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I have the light. How many people are going to share the light with them? They might never come back, but I know that God spoke. I know that that girl is going to come to Jesus. I know that it's a done game. I know he's got her. So you are the salt and the light. Be willing to just know that the Lord will encourage you this week. Amen? And know that he's guiding you and leading you no matter what kind of stuff comes up. Amen? And if you got any sin, you got to get confess, confess it, get rid of it, be done with it, free yourself up, right? <laughs> just embrace the Lord. So that's that's enough preaching. Lord, love you so much, and we want to love you in, in our words and and in our deeds. Um, God, would you just minister to your body this morning? I pray that it would just be so absolutely evident when when. We are to be salt and light in word, and we were to be salt and light in deed. And I pray that it wouldn't all be calculated in our mind. It would just be a natural way of life. And I pray that um, where there's obstacles in our own hearts, where there's sin, Lord, you just, you've already paid for it. I just pray you'd you'd free us from it. And God, I want to thank you this morning for the messages that have been shared, Lord, through worship and through Marcus sharing. um, Lord, we long for your grace in our lives and your power. Work through this church, Lord, for your glory. We lay down all that we have for all that you are. May the name of Jesus be lifted up in our hearts this morning. Amen.